1: Thank you, JJ, for that awesome introduction, and I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now in over 50 countries, and I know you've heard me say this every day, and it's still true. People all over the world are looking for the same message, and that message is one of hope. That message is to hear other people who have gone through either similar circumstances or circumstances that they may know that someone else has gone through, and they can use this show to help others who may be suffering. And also to learn coping skills and become successful in whatever we set our hearts and minds to do, whether it's to improve ourselves, our family life, our business. So no matter what you're attempting hang on hang in there never ever give up hope and listen to the stories of encouragement they are so inspiring and I appreciate each and every single one of my guests and also I appreciate each and every single one of my listeners anyway today with me I have Maggie Romero Maggie taught English as a second language for 17 years She is also a member of the National Association of Memoir Writers. She has won several awards for her memoir, entitled, A Mother's Story. This is not just any mother's story. It is a graphic account of how addiction can destroy individuals, families, your life. I want you to listen closely today as she shares her story. It is a story we all need to hear. Whether we want to believe or accept it or not, addiction can touch any one of us. It's all around us. But when you lose a daughter, and as Maggie put it, to the living death of heroin addiction, it stops you in your tracks. So welcome, Maggie. I am so anxious to hear you share today. Thank you so much for coming on Never Ever Give Up Hope.
2: Hi, Carol, and Thank you so much for having me. So let's
1: start with one of the things that you said was addiction knows no boundaries. And I thought a lot about that whether you're rich you're poor you're educated or you're not educated, you know very often, and we think of heroin addicts in particular. we see somebody down on Skid Row in the inner city, you know who's basically been there their whole lives. but this isn't true, and I think that we don't we can't put our head in the sand any longer. we need to become aware of what is going on around us, how our families how our our um, children are being affected and your memoir and what you are doing on your website is going to bring that awareness and enlightenment and that's what I'm anxious to for you to share today so let's start with you telling us the story of your daughter before addiction and anything else that you want to share as far as your family dynamics
2: well, um, you know, we're, we're just a middle class family. We were in the foreign service, um, living around the world, and uh, and the marriage fell apart for um, pretty ordinary reasons. But Angie was twelve at the time. Caroline was ten, and Carter, Carlos was um, fourteen. And she didn't they didn't take it well. It's not easy to see your parents get divorced. So. We were in Italy at the time, and, and you know, um, Javier and I got divorced, and I moved back with the kids to Virginia and started continued my teaching career, which had already begun in another country. Um, she was 12, and she um, became anorexic and then um, just <laughs> basically dissolved into a, a period of, of depression. Pretty bad, so that by the time she was fourteen her her father and I you know got her into therapy, but there was no drug use there was no um no acting out in fact she she was I said in my book in the introduction, she was the good daughter, her sister was very rebellious, but she she um she was in When we lived in Greece she was a world-class gymnast she always got great grades she was lovely she was you know she she was the good daughter quote-unquote because Mm -hmm. be be very careful about you know becoming complacent when we see our kids being good because she clearly was hiding a great deal of pain underneath that nevertheless
1: can we stop can we stop there for a second Maggie I want you to expound a little bit on that what you just said about you know look for the warning signs, even yeah. when it appears on the outside that everything is okay,
2: yeah, well, um, of course she she was anger often hides itself in depression, she was depressed, period, but there was nothing else I could have done if i the thing is hindsight is two thousand twenty if I had been more aware of my own history with addiction, my own. Struggles and all that. I might have put to end depression. I should say. I mean, we mirror each other so terribly. I was too close to see. I was. I couldn't see the forest for the trees. If I had been more in tune with with that, I might have, you know, picked up on these things. But I was in denial. I was clearly in denial. I was. I you know, I had just gotten divorced, and I had to work and go to grad school and everything. And I just wanted everything to be perfect for my kids. And I was certainly not prepared to see my daughter go down the tubes the way she did. In fact, she didn't until she moved out when she was 21 and moved into her own apartment. She lived with me until she was 21, which is also strange. And um, that, that's another story. Mm-hmm. But she, so, so all I'm saying to answer your question, Carol, is um, beware of complacency because things are not always what they seem. She was also, let me tell you, she was also very attached. She and her sister to heavy metal music, and all that dark counterculture. That was it. Uh, Tip, Tipper Gore had a big campaign about that back in the eighties. Was it? I, I seem to. I think into, so. Yes. Yeah, and that that might have tipped me off, but I let her get away with it because, you know, as I say in my book, I didn't want to be like my mother. Yes. <laughs> yes. So when you do
1: what you think you you should be doing at the moment, right? What what? You do what you think
2: you should be doing oh, no. at that moment. Oh, absolutely! We all do our best, you know, with what we've got. Well, I did the best I could, you know, raising my kids with, with my with what I had. But to be honest, now through writing the memoir, it all came out in the memoir. I I was not um, I was not particularly well. I also have eating disorders and addiction problems. I, I gave up the drugs when I before I got married, but I had eating disorders, and they got in the way. And so, um, you know, I was very self-absorbed and very concerned and very depressed, and very um, you know, with the divorce and all the responsibility of the kids, and I was not coping well. And I, my children have told me often that I was very neglectful, and I was. So, you know, I don't beat myself up about that at all now, certainly not. But I did for a while. I did until I got into recovery and learned how to, you know, work through, um, you know, these feelings and, and learn to forgive myself. The thing is, women, are, women have role models, and my mother was my role model. And she was also, she was depressed, and living with alcoholism, and she coped the best she could, but she was even less prepared than I am now, or was 30 years ago. So we, we, when I say we do the best we can with what we've got, I was all my kids had when I was 35, and I wasn't very healthy.
1: How many children? And Three. And what number was uh, Angie? In the middle.
2: She was the middle child.
1: And how did the other, did the other two see any, uh, warnings and did they ever bring it up to you or?
2: No. Um, her sister Caroline was just like her, um, in, in, in what they attached them to this culture, this cloth and all that. But nobody ever said, oh, mom, Angie's using drugs or anything like that because I don't believe she was until she got out of the house. Um. Uh, her brother, their brother is very different. He was very nerdy and geeky, and they, they had nothing in common. So there was no, uh, in fact, they didn't grow up close, and I talked about that in my introduction. Uh, there, were, there was a lot of family dysfunction mm-hmm. So now my son has said to me, you know, she was never normal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if he had told me that then, I probably would have shushed him, mm-hmm. and I, I was in terrible denial. I just couldn't, I wasn't equipped to face it, much less deal with it. And when I did start dealing with it, I was making a lot of classic mistakes, which, and that's why I write in my introduction about my childhood, because it explains me. It it People get to know me and understand why I made the classic mistakes later on.
1: And then you said that your daughter moved away, got her own apartment, and talked to us about what happened
2: yeah, that was that was when she got into drugs. That right right away it was you know it's like what was that what how could I how could this be happening? What did I miss? And I probably did miss a lot. I was so consumed with work and providing for the kids and you know I have a serviceable amount of excuses. So she moved you know to an area that uh, and worked as a bartender in a drug, you know, den. Mm. Before I knew it, she was hot. She was a methamphetamine addict. That was the first. Oh my goodness! Okay. Yeah, yeah. And she uh, that last. She lived in that apartment for about a year, but then needed said, "I need to live in your basement, mom." My roommate's selling the condo or something. Well, who knows about the truth of that? Maybe she just was kicked out. But yes, I let her come live with me in the basement, and that was the beginning of a terrible nightmare because I, I had a front row seat to this. Person who was morphing into—and remember, this is the this is the daughter who got straight A's—is a college right, graduate, by right, the way. I didn't right. mention that. The gymnast, everything. Now she's morphing into a complete stranger. She stole from me repeatedly. She abused me physically. Um, I kicked her out. I had to. I'm I'm actually surprised that I was able to um, because but you're I, able to have the strength. You mean? Yeah. To uh, what what does a girl do? You know, a drug addict, you know. Um, yes. She's very resourceful, very smart, and had no trouble finding a place to live. But it was that bad. You know, it was just horrible. I was living with a complete stranger. And actually, I was afraid for my life a couple of times because I've, I'd read that meth, meth addicts kill whole families sometimes when they're high. I wrote about it in the book. Okay. Um, I was living in fear. So I did what a lot of my friends do and a lot of my other friends are not able to do. There are no judgments. We do what we can. We do what we must. But I had my identity had been stolen twice. It took me forever to, you know, redo all my this, that and the other. And I want to make this point. I might as well make it now. She was not my daughter. Brain- i 'm so glad we 're having this conversation, and it needs to addiction needs to be yes in the shadows and we need to have these conversations because so much of America still believes that addiction is a moral failing it 's a choice, and therefore the finger gets pointed at the parents no, it is a brain disease it 's a disease my daughter didn 't choose to stick a needle in her arm and live in the gutter she 's too spoiled for that she, she, you know she lived a wonderful life. I think as we continue to have this conversation, more and more uh, Americans will start to uh, have compassion for addicts and not judgment, and the mothers. And, And things are getting done. They are getting done. Botticelli is getting very involved in what's going on. In fact, he's coming here to my state to see um, a treatment center that a friend of mine started so think things just talking about it it's coming out of the closets out of the shadows and attitudes will change it'll just take time that's just an
1: incredible statement because as you said in your bio and I read in the beginning you know whether we want to believe it or not it affects us Mm -hmm. And we all know somebody who's addicted, whatever Mm -hmm. level, you know, takes on many different levels. Just as you said, you had your own demons to deal with, you know, in your addictions and your mother's alcoholism, etc. This is what you're saying that you feel that exposing it and talking about it and not sticking our heads in the sand Mm -hmm. is what's going to bring the awareness and help. What do you hope to see as far as help in the future? Besides well, the awareness.
2: Absolutely. And I wrote this in my vision statement on my website, um, that people first, that, that the powers that be, the government, uh, and, uh, recognize it as an illness and insurance companies might start stepping up more. I mean, my goodness, I had to pay out of pocket for rehabs. I could have bought a house in California. Mm. You know, we shouldn't be having to pay this. If, if she had cancer, she, insurance companies right. would support. So. I want more government into compassion. I want intervention, and I think that's that's going to happen. The new drug czar is a very um, he's very involved, and he has a great deal of empathy. He has his own story. So just talking about there's a lot of pressure uh, um, exerted by mothers' groups. I don't know if you've ever heard of the addict's mom. They uh, they go to Washington. They were just in the White House. Barbara Theodosio has done tire has been tireless about trying to be an advocate for for addicts and and their families and so what do i hope will happen is i hope that more there will be more money set aside for um for treatment centers and of course insurance companies stop you know start stepping up more and of course attitudes look how the attitude carol has changed about alcoholism in our in a generation yes Look how it's changed we had a a president in the White House who's a recovered alcoholic you know nobody says anything about that and I'm hoping that the stigma of addiction of course alcoholism is addiction too yes People remember that poor daughter who's still alive is so shame she's so ashamed that I think that's part of the reason why she's cut off cut off from her family she cut herself off I mean I tell her I love her in emails and we all you know um But she doesn't want anything to do with us. And I think there's a great deal of shame that addicts go through themselves. Why? Because society judges them so harshly. I don't judge my daughter anymore, but I I, I wish I mattered. Remember, my daughter doesn't really exist anymore. She has a great deal of brain damage, which will continue and get worse as long as she's taking drugs. How old is she now? She's 36. She was 21 when this started. I'm grateful, though, that I had those years with her. She was, she was a joy, and well, my a, story is not unique, Carol. Oh, I'm, I'm aware of
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> you are holding on, aren't you? You're holding on to that hope. You're not letting go. You're not judging her. You're not throwing her away. You're, you're holding on to the hope that she will someday make that turn around and come back and be restored.
2: I certainly am, and, uh, and that's what. That, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, when I go to meetings sometimes, it's like they say, well, hope for who? Hope for you? Hope for your daughter? I have hope for my daughter, of course, but it's in her hands. Who are the, the only thing, person I can control is me. And so I have a great deal of hope for me. And how, and how did I get to that point where, I mean, I, have, I know other mothers who are so deeply depressed, but I wanted to get my life back. Well, part
1: of that is guilt and blame, right? Absolutely. And shame. So let's talk about that. Share well, well, the steps that you went through and where you're at now.
2: Well, um, guilt, in, in, uh, guilt uh, all, so many of us mothers with addicts for children feel guilty. What did we do wrong? But in my case, it was worse because she and I mirror each other. If, if there is a gene component to addiction, then she got it from me. And not only, I was also, I was, a, first, of, I've always been a food addict, ter- terrible eating disorders, but that led me to drug addiction, to amphetamine abuse. Um, and the first drug that she chose was methamphetamine. So, I mean, it, mm. it, it's, un, it's uncanny. So why did I feel guilty? Because I she's a worse version than what I ever could have been and what I ever was. She, it, and And I just felt so guilty and so overly responsible. And that put me at risk terribly for enabling her, which I did for years. And I was just at a meeting the other day, and I said, gee, you know, maybe if I had acted more intelligently earlier in her disease, you know, that would have made a difference, but that's, you know, we can't go through life second guessing. That's right. Saying, what did I do wrong? Um, so
1: I read in your book at one point where, and it just rang true to me, and I'm sure many other mothers, is when the child is asking for money, and you just give it because you're giving it out of love, possibly even recognizing that it's not going to go to a good source. But we do it for so many reasons. And we look in hindsight and see if only i hadn't done that they would have found another way you know we can't sure. beat ourselves up for the things that we did out of a mother's heart
2: oh sure um i just made it easier for her for example when she lived with me did i ask her to pay rent she was working right yeah. so that just gave her more money for drugs i mean i was just spoiling her i liked being needed i i had my own demons you know i You know, so I might have. If I were a different person, I suppose I would have been very different. But my story is my story. That's right. And I think it's important to uh, my recovery, though. Now is all talk about your
1: recovery. Talk about what happened to you.
2: Well, I became what they call clinical depression, and I had to go on Zoloft, a medication, and it worked. But I was shaking like a leaf, and I didn't think I was doing. My students, the, a good service. So I retired. I was 60 at the time. I took early retirement and it broke my heart because I loved my job above all. Um, so I retired and uh, Jean and I moved to New Mexico. I was teaching in Northern Virginia. Um, and so, but so I got, when I moved here in New Mexico, I really got into recovery. I had been going to meetings back east, but I really I went to a meeting a day. And I, I really embraced the program. Uh, I learned, for example, how to accept what I can't change and to let go of my need to control. That's what drove me to the edge—my need to save her. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with the instinct to save your child, but you don't. If it were cancer, I wouldn't. You know, you would take it to a doctor and they they give them the medicine they need. Or, or diabetes—I I didn't have the power to save Angie. She had to embrace the recovery tools that she got in rehab. So I had to accept that I was powerless in that area. And then I started to learn to uh, just be grateful. I keep a gratitude journal every day. Be grateful. Look around me. My God, I, I'm living here. I've I've got two wonderful kids, two wonderful grandkids, friends. Good health. I think that's number one, and I know you appreciate that. Um you know, I have so much to be grateful for. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, let's just, I don't want to <laughs> exaggerate, but I just want to say how lucky I am. Not to mention, even though I was depressed most of my life, I had a very fortunate life. I was very lucky. And I didn't have the good sense to see it at the time because nobody was telling me. I didn't have role models to, to point out, hey, don't, you know, look at all you've got. And nobody told me, how, pointed me to faith either. So that's something else I've learned, to have faith in something a lot better and smarter than I am. Because if I relied on myself, well, my best thinking got me here. <laughs> and the most important thing is humor. The most important thing is the gift that I've gotten from recovery is a sense of humor. And I live with a guy who's got who has got a killer sense of humor, and and just learning to laugh at life and laugh at myself most of all, not yes. take myself so seriously. My gosh, we don't live in a bubble, you know. And so um, when we reach out to other people the way I do constantly with my blog twice a week and just all the time on Facebook, we get perspective. And we realize that a lot of people have it so much worse than us. And, and just read the paper, half of Africa is starving. I mean, you know, I have no reason to sit on the pity pot, and I, and I don't. I, I love my life. And everybody's got something, Carol. And, I, you know, I've, everybody has a cross to bear. And, yeah, I, I'm, I will never really be over losing a child, but maybe she'll come back. And in the meantime, <laughs> I'm having a blast
1: and that's exactly. it in a nutshell. So it all comes down to attitude. I have said that over and over and yep. over. It comes down to attitude, our attitude. How we deal with it, pretending it didn't happen, putting our head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Right. But realizing in reality it did happen. Okay, I can't change it right now, but what's my attitude going to be so that I don't have to be depressed and overridden with guilt or blame or trying to find an answer but living life to the best of my ability and finding all the things to be thankful for you know there's so many people that are pushing being grateful now and there's so much truth to that being grateful for the little things that waking up in the morning and breathing
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know we forget that
2: what good would it do for me to throw my life away as well? That's what right. It do that just and how, make often, it worse?
1: how often doesn't that happen? Yeah. That exact scenario.
2: And one of my very favorite um, sayings by Winston Churchill's mother, Jenny Jerome, is life is not always what one wants it to be, but to make the best of it as, it as it is, is the only way of being happy. So that's all about acceptance. You know, it is what it is. So make the best of things. And that's what you've done. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm very grateful and and I love I love it that I'm helping some other people do the same thing.
1: Okay, let's talk about that. Is that through your website or or are you a speaker? No. And and tell us a little bit about your memoir too, so all these things that you're doing that you are putting mm. out there.
2: Well, I wrote the memoir to heal. I mean, I was I was on a mission for 2 years. I wrote at my computer 10 hours a day. Poor Jean never saw me. I was Desperate to heal because I'd had a real awful run-in with Angie, and I guess I snapped. <laughs> but I've been a writer all my life, so I decided—I I didn't really decide—I just set set about writing, and it it was a 500-page <laughs> rant. I have a wonderful coach; I talk about her in the in the introduction or in the beginning, and um, she helped me cut it down to a manageable size. But so I wrote the, the memoir to heal and to help others heal. And I've and I've done both of those things. I've gotten wonderful response from many people, and I'm and I'm glad. Um, you asked about the memoir, so that so it was a it was a cathartic experience. Just finally, you know, I'd been dealing with this pain since two thousand and one, and I just didn't know where to put it, so I put it in a book. Um, and then the website.
1: Uh, hold on, are, just hold on just a second oh. before you before you talk about your website. You said you put your pain in the book. What is, what is the message of the book? Besides um, the story, what is the underlying message?
2: Oh, the underlying, on the front it says this is a memoir of recovery. Okay. So the underlying message is that you can, there is life on the other side of the rainfall. I mean, there is, that you can learn to be happy. You can learn to be happy in spite of the pain that you have to live with whether it's heart attack or cancer or losing a child or whatever. You can learn to be happy. I just learned my life, my tools for that a little late in life.
1: Better late than ever.
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. You were going to share about your website, then.
2: Just that, just that you know, I I, I used it to prom- I use it to promote the book, but also to reach people. Um, I'm in a lot of social media groups, and I talk to a lot of people. I've made a lot of friends, but I like to one. It's a short site; it only has five pages, but it has a reference library in the back for books, you know, for, yeah. for things to read. And uh, my book, of course, is there, and some reviews, and yeah, um. um do you
1: do you, um, talk about other addictions as well? Addiction in general, or, or what what are you zeroing
2: in on? Addiction in general, I guess. People who know me know know my addictions, but I I you know I try to focus on the solution, not the problem. Right. You know I I don't talk about addiction. I talk about how to overcome it, whether it's somebody else's or your own. Mm-hmm. And I write twice a week, Tuesday and Friday, and you know, and I get response. So it's a wonderful way. You know, I had a hard time with retirement. I'm a teacher. Remember, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess I still have that in me. I like to impart the knowledge that I have to other people and get a conversation going. So it's it's been very rewarding.
1: Do you do any public speaking in any kind of arenas? Just,
2: just when I did all my book uh, signings, I would okay. like to. I don't really know. Okay. <laughs>
1: Well, you definitely have a message that needs to be heard and that that's your whole thrust, isn't it?
2: hmm Yeah. Yeah. I've been very busy I by you know, doing stuff and I haven't had time to talk to anybody about that, but I would love to do some public speaking.
1: And what is your call to action today for people? What 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 do you want to really get across?
2: Um Anyone who, is, who would be listening to this particular interview, and I know you have many wonderful ones that you've done, probably has an addict for a child. There is help for you. Focus on you because you're worth it and because you want to be healthy for your child when your child comes back to you. Um, and you must always have hope for that. So, I mean, uh, my recovery is critical. Because if I weren't in recovery, then I wouldn't be in any shape to receive my daughter uh, when she comes back, or even be around my other children and grandchildren. My recovery has been critical just to learn how to live well. Um, That—that's you know—that's my call to action: is get get help. There are a lot. There are a lot of. I've talked about the specific tools I use: gratitude, humor, and acceptance. Um, I also, I also was in the rooms of Al-Anon and 12-step fellowships. I still am. So you could try meetings uh, if, if that's something you'd like to do. Or or look at my website and look at the books at the back and, and get some of those books. Melody Beattie is a wonderful heroine of mine. Um, there is help for you. There's help also for your child. But don't ever forget to take care of yourself because if you don't, um then you know, who's going to be there for your child when 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 and if he comes back or and and if you're one of those um women who have actually lost a child there is still reason to live there are still other um things in life that we can embrace i think life especially with drug addiction i've seen kids throw their lives away my own included and life is too precious to throw away including your own so i just this is, my, this is the way I honor Angie, my daughter, by getting on with my life and, and living well, as I know she would have wanted to.
1: What a beautiful tribute to her, actually. Yeah. That's yeah. very, very nicely stated. One of the things that I'm picking up as you're talking is that don't be embarrassed. Don't hmm. be embarrassed to seek help. Don't be embarrassed to talk about what's going on. Don't be embarrassed and don't judge others who may be going through something
2: there is a Facebook site, The Addict's Mom, that I you know, that would be very helpful. It's very supportive. They we, we learn to live without shame, without stigma. Um, I'm 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 sort of trained in it by now, but I think a lot of mothers mm-hmm. who are new to this need to go out get out there and get support. They can find it in Al Anon. They can okay. Ar- okay.
1: The Addict's Mom. Yes. And that's it's on a, Facebook. Is it a closed it, group or can they? It's closed. Okay, but they important. can. I
2: would not be in an open group.
1: But I mean, they can They can ask for membership though? Or, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Very good. So we'll we'll put that in the show notes so that they can certainly find you that way as well.
2: It's on my, my website. Oh, it I'm is. Okay, website. perfect. Anything else you want to add? Just that uh, life goes on and I'm so, I've learned how to be happy. And you know what I live with. You know, I still live with not a Hollywood ending, but I am happy. So I've learned a lot about happiness because I thought, you know, I I think things come into perspective when you lose as much as we've lost. And, you know, you you start to see things differently and and, and, and life and the gifts that you've been given take on a new meaning. So I oh you, you know you read all these expressions about only you know the more you suffer the the greater you become right not necessarily right. doesn't always work that way but I am one of the lucky ones I'm just so lucky
1: <laughs> I love your attitude Maggie that's perfect mm-hmm. Well we're going to close now but that doesn't mean that we won't pick this up again at a later date because I, you know I think that would be a really good idea a few months down the uh, down the road just to yeah. talk about this again um to bring it to the forefront because it does affect so many of us. And Mm -hmm. I thank you so much, Maggie, for what you have shared. And also um, I encourage everyone to go to your website. We will have the show notes to buy your book, to read this compelling story, to gain help and strength through that. And thank you.
2: Thank you, Carol. It's been a pleasure talking to you.